On this episode of Dying Alive, first time appearance on the show, long overdue, we're going to have Rob Rossi on. We're going to talk about the Penguins' goaltending situation and what should, would have, and could have happened. We're going to look at a little bit of a playoff preview going in. We're going to talk about what's been going on with Rob for the last little bit and get you all prepped and ready to go uh, for all things Penguins postseason. Uh, Jesse, Pat, and Rob Rossi here on Dying Alive. Folks, several years ago, uh, our guest today, Rob Rossi, uh, told me that I needed to have him on the Dying Alive podcast. And I agreed. I said that was true. And I appreciated his willingness to do it. And then almost like it became a meme, years went on. (laughs) Time, the sands of time continued to fall through the hourglass and we did not have Rob on. Uh, So this this is years in the making now that we're doing this, that Rob's on the show. Uh... I felt like it was a must because you're back. You're better than ever. I do have a bone to pick with you right out of the gate. You return to work. If Genie Malkin gets suspended for four games, <laughs> do you care to explain that? <laughs> um, I'm just trying to get people used to what life could be like without him. There you go. Yeah. That's well, it was, it wasn't fun. <laughs> get that out of the way. Um, I like how you left out the or you made the abridged version of the story. I thought you were going to say several years ago outside Piper's Pub, uh, Rob told me that he would love to help me get more mainstream attention on what he thought was brilliant. So you're stealing my thunder is what you're freaking doing here before we get to the real part of the show. Uh, you know this, that's and so like, on in all honesty though, like the the reason I'm probably in the position I'm in is because you took that, like, flyer. And I was just, like, a weird kid with, uh, not a kid, young 20-something uh, with a really bad reputation on Twitter for, for saying some really See, that's heinously like. stupid shit. <laughs> um, and then, yeah. And then, uh, you know, next thing you know, uh, Rob and, and you know, uh, I got to throw Josh's name in, too, come along, and uh, at the time you guys were with the Trib, and you gave me an opportunity to bring my nonsense uh, over there with you guys for a little bit, uh, which I think helped bring an air of legitimacy to the other nonsense I was doing. Uh, so without that, I probably nonsense my way right into oblivion. <laughs> and uh, Pat and I are doing this podcast, and like my mom and my aunt are listening to it, and that's it. So um, the you, but that's like I, I do think though throughout your time in Pittsburgh, and people, you know, they always judge you by your takes, right? But you've done, I think, over time, like a a, a face turn, like to uh-huh. use like wrestling um, vernacular, so to speak. Is that like I think like the early Rob Rossi days, everybody was like pitchfork outside your house, like we got to get this guy out of here. But then like over time, as things change and you've changed jobs, more importantly, um, to a place where I think like you're now able to have a level of freedom to do, you know, I think what you want to do in unique ways. Um, I think with that has brought about it like this, I think even your most ardent Twitter internet, uh, critics right now are like, I, I'm, I don't know beef with Rob. Yeah. I miss some of them. I wish some of them would <laughs> come back to having beef. It's a little, uh, I feel, I feel a little like when, uh, Dr. Octopus tries to play the good guy uh, it, it, it's kind of cool, but not 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 necessarily what you want to see. Uh, I will say that um, 
you know, it was, and I've told Jesse this, it was a, uh, a usage of mutual uh, exploitation. I needed somebody that understood hockey uh, and analytics. And, and at the time, more importantly than anything, understood the draft because I had no interest in the draft, if you remember. And I think yeah. one of the first things I said was, Jesse said to me was, you know, I, I, I kind of do my own draft prospectus. And I was like, Oh, hallelujah. Like mm-hmm. I don't have to pay all this money for all these other ones anymore. So I was like, why don't you be our draft guy? And, uh, it, it that's true. Yeah. There, but, that was the first time we'd collaborated, right? We did yeah. the draft. And then that year going into free agency, that was the Nikolai Kuhlman free agency year where yeah. everyone was convinced he was coming to Pittsburgh to play with Malkin, Malkin yeah. and his boy and the hookup. And then that obviously, uh, Zeno gets whatever he wants all the time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Right. It's like, like they trade Ricard Raquel yeah. uh, from Hawkins Wing and now he's playing. He got like James Neal once, and that was only because of a career-threatening concussion. And other than that, it's like um, – but no, I mean, I will – look, the, the jokes aside, um, I just uh, – you know, you mentioned being a heel. It was a role that I I don't run from because I willingly played it, uh, and it was what my work at the time, the trip, they really wanted it to not just be a hard, not just be fair, but be hard, be tough. And um, uh, I knew that if I was going to survive doing that, I had to befriend some people that um, were both similar and opposite of me. And at times you can be both. Um, uh, but also it was just recognizing that you had a real passion for it and maybe needed a little bit of a break. And, you know, I always say, Jesse, when I was, you know, 16 years old and in high school and got a break from Alan Robinson with the Associated Press to let me write some high school stuff uh, for the AP. That was really my first break into business. And, it, and you know, whether it was him or, or Bob Herzl down in Morgantown or anybody I've met since, I've always just felt like to this day, um, you give back to the business, as I call it, you know, to, to, to borrow a wrestling term, I guess, uh, you give back to the business by trying to bring people uh, along with you. Uh, if you're lucky enough to reach any level of, of success and you're, and if, if you're not doing that, then you're not really getting the most out of it that you can. Um, Cause otherwise it becomes very isolating. And I mean, we've formed a good friendship and I even still trust your soccer judgment, even though you predicted and promised that Everton would not be relegated and I'm I'm starting to fear that I'm going to lose my it's, Russian it's getting my, tight. I mean yeah. you could have seen Burnley winning a couple of games <laughs> to put the to screws to you guys. Um I know I'd appreciate that. And Pat and I don't want to speak for Pat who's also here, uh but I you know we both I think try to do the same thing and like people have podcasts they're just starting out and if they ask us to come on like the answer is always yes. So if you're listening to this and you have a podcast you just started or something you're working on as a project in the hockey community and you want uh, us to help you, we will help you. Um, you know, our doors are, are always open, I think, so to speak. Our advice may not always be good. Though when you just literally were having everybody else on but me, it was starting to become like a... Well, I think you texted me for the first time when I had Gentilly on twice. Yeah. <laughs> Gentilly's second appearance. He's, my, like, All right, he's, he's enough my, is enough. my trigger point. I love Sean. Yeah. And yeah. I was like, what the heck is going on here? Like, what do I got yeah. to do? Like, do I got to go to Moscow and get on the show? Like, I just did that. What's going on? I mean, the you know, to kind of to go with, you know, what you guys were joking about, 
Rob, it, it, you know, you guys both used wrestling terms to describe this business and everything. And, you know, you play in the heel and give them back to the business. The one thing that I've always really, really appreciated, because I've been on both sides of, of the battles with you, whether it's someone who's like, <laughs> Rossi's work is awesome. And, oh, my God, we got to get this guy out of here. Uh, the one thing I've always enjoyed uh, following your work is that you do such a good job of building storylines and, and, and telling a narrative. So when it got announced that, okay, Rob's going to be part of the athletic, I that was one of the moments where I was like, okay, this is where this guy needs to be. Because reading your work, especially recently about the, the playoff streak that the Penguins still have going, that was peak your writing to me because you told the story beautifully. And that's something that I think a lot of uh, readers and, and hockey fans appreciate is that there's always a story and you tell it really well. So the one thing that I wanted to ask you was like, you know, how does that come about? Like, how do you realize that's your wheelhouse for writing, especially for sports when it can change so frequently? Well, I, I think one of the advantages I have, and I thank you for everything you said, um, and I'm sorry if I put you in any bad spots having to defend me over the years. Surely I did. Uh, my my takes are my takes, Rob. So <laughs> yeah, if, if yeah. people don't like them, that, I'll die on the hill myself. Yeah. It's, it's got nothing to do with you. <laughs> it's just, as I try to tell people, it's just people talking about hockey. Um, yeah. uh, I think with me, if there's been any success, it's been honestly the ability to tune out what most of the people are going with. And if I do have any recollection of it uh, or any cognizance of it, I guess, I tend to try to look at it the other way. And, you know, with that particular piece, I mean, it's, it's taking me, I'm, I'm at about 70% of, of what I was before everything happened. And it takes me a while to write. And I am working at the time we're, we're doing this, I'm working on a big Sidney Crosby story. That's more of like a human human side of Crosby's story um, that kind of links to hockey. But that particular story was, I just remember seeing so many Penguin fans and hearing from Josh and Jesse will get a text like this from me too every once in a while. Like, is it the perception that I have right that this is the way people think? Because I, I have found that if you only listen to Penguin's Twitter, you'll have a really view askew of, of what is going <laughs> you on. Don't, you don't say. Yeah, I don't say. Um, but uh, what I do say is that I don't ever write anything, and I think people maybe wouldn't believe this. I don't ever write anything that I don't believe or know to be true at the time. Um, I'll validate that, Rob, because yeah. you will send me texts. I'll get texts from Rob that be like, does the data support this? Yes. And I'll be like, I know he's working on a story. And then I'll check it out. I'm going to honestly tell you whether or not it does. Yeah. Uh, you know, so I, I know you're validating most of the time, whatever it is your, you know, your, your premises are. And that's been, so, that's, that's been my hill to die on recently. That's why I really enjoyed the, the playoff streak piece. Because again, if you only pay attention to hockey Twitter, it's uh, penguins twitter it they're almost rooting for a first round exit so they can just yeah. be right and while i'm not saying be satisfied with just getting invited to the dance you know in this metaphor you don't want to just get invited to the dance you want to be voted prom king you want to win it all but the fact that oh, yeah i never had a date to the prom so i i i would never have been prom <laughs> king but i but that sounds like something people would want so yeah <laughs> 
<laughs> I went I went to two of four homecomings by myself, so I get it. Okay, there we go. <laughs> so, go ahead, Pat. But what I was going to say was, I, I liked that perspective because we have been so spoiled for the past almost yeah. 20 years with this Penguins team, and in a league that, in this era, is doing everything it can to not let teams be dynastic and be this good for this long. So... It's. It, I feel like a lot of people need to have that perspective, and or at least see that perspective. And you gave it beautifully. I like to be the cold water on the fans on Twitter, and sometimes that is throwing cold water on happy times. Um, but I agree with you. It feels like, and it feels like people want this to be a one and done, so they can see the team broken up because they presume that that's automatically going to mean better things. And I just, I've been saying for years, uh, I think their playoff streaks almost as impressive as the, as the three championships that they've won, because it's just so hard to make the playoffs in this league. And when you say that you sound like an apologist, but it hit me that night. You're asking where the story idea came from. I saw somewhere, I forget who said it. And if I remembered, I would give them credit, but somebody was complaining. There's like, what do we do? Do we, you know, they say we when they talk about the Penguins. Do we want to be a team that just preserves a playoff streak or do we want to be a team that contends for the Cup? And I immediately had this thought, um, and it, it felt good to have it because I haven't had a lot of these in the last six months where I, I kind of got agitated and my spark got lit a bit because I, I said, well, for goodness sakes, people, Montreal just made the playoffs last year and went to the cup final. Dallas just made the playoffs two years ago and went to the cup final. St. Louis was in last place overall, and nobody thought they were a Stanley Cup team and won the Stanley Cup. And, like, it is my genuine belief that if you make the playoffs, you're a contender in this league because so many weird things can happen. The best team does not always win a seven-game series. That's something I've changed my opinion of over the years. 2017 um, Penguins are probably the, yeah. one of the most great local right. examples that you could drum up. That, right. that, that, whole, that whole playoff, like the Penguins weren't looking like favorites to repeat, and I didn't hear a whole lot about Nashville going into that playoff, and there's the no. Stanley Cup final. So, so I said, why don't I write something trying to put a little perspective on this and throw some cold water on the negativity, which is, look, maybe they go out in the first round and maybe everything gets blown up. I, I don't know, but you can appreciate that what this has been, I hope, and what this has been has been the greatest era of Penguins hockey we'll probably ever see. And that's fine. That's like, it's not a bad thing. And I'm talking of sustained success. Yeah. Not like individual, like, you know, I'm not saying Mario's better than Sid or, or, or whatever. I'm just saying like 16 years, they've been to the final four times. They've been to a couple other conference finals. Um, like this has been pretty good. And yeah, the last few years haven't gone the way, but does anybody remember last year looking at the playoff series and going, boy, they were the, that's a team you should break up. Like no. no, they needed they needed to change. They needed a goaltending change. Yeah, yeah, which we'll get into in a second. Right. Listen. Okay. So wait. Before we get into like the the hockey hockey's because we're gonna we're all, like we are gonna soapbox about that. You you mentioned the last six months. You talk about what happened. 
Yeah. I, I, I'm going to give you the opportunity to give the Cliff Notes version because yeah. uh, you've talked a lot about it, but I'm surprised. Like, I was on Hockey's Future sometime around the trade deadline. Um, and we're talking this is about the time you came back and started writing again. And there were people that were like, because you still had a presence online, they don't have a subscription to the website. They didn't know anything was going on. They just assumed, yeah. you know, whatever. Uh, so there may be people, I'm assuming everyone that listens to the show is going to know, but there may be people that don't. Um, but I think it's a good conversation to have anyway, because I know you've taken a lot away personally. Yeah. What's well, going on. Thank you. I want to give you the opportunity to talk about that. Yeah, as you know, Jess, I've always been very open about my mental health stuff. I have ADHD and attentive and a comorbidity with general anxiety disorder and depression and OCD. And those on their own have been things that I've been very proud to be advocating for awareness of. But what I didn't realize, about a year ago, I've always had migraines. The migraines started increasing in frequency and ferocity about a year ago. Uh, and I started seeing a neurologist. Uh, we were messing around with some treatments. They were working. Then in about September, they started picking up again. Um, I, I was to the point in October where they were coming like every other day. And if you've ever had migraines, that's a pretty hellacious life. Well, you talk um, about comorbidities, Rob. Migraines will bring a whole host of them with them too as well. Yes. I mean, like, yes. Yeah. So... What happened was I was at practice one day and what felt like a migraine in reverse hit, which is where like all the symptoms were the same, but it almost was like the worst of them started first. And within three days uh, of that, I was in the emergency room because I had lost the ability to speak uh, in the present tense. I had developed a stutter and a uh, stammer uh, that was pretty severe. And um, I had also... Uh, developed a tremor in my whole right arm, um, making it impossible for me to write or talk, which as a reporter uh, is pretty limiting. Um, and I had to miss work from November through March. Uh, and during that time, I was very, very blessed to have the support of my, I mean, really, I was blessed to have the support of everyone, uh, my company, uh, my doctors and my psychiatrist and my neurologist and my uh, psychiatric team because I did I still do various different therapies for this. Uh, I had a, I worked with a speech therapist, uh, a vocal coach, um, some PT, um, and slowly the medications got figured out. But really, I mean, I can't tell you how much the, the greater hockey community, whether it be players I covered, players I barely know, agents, general managers, people that I've had loggerheads with, people that you would expect be based off knowing my relationships, and really so many fans, so many readers, and um, people supported me financially when I needed it, which was humbling but really it was just the constant show of support and love that I received I, mean, I can't tell you how many messages I received from people that I don't know who they are other than their screen name um, and I guess it shows you that maybe even when they hated me they loved some part of me I don't know but I also figured that to keep it real short 
I ask people to be open and transparent for a living. So when I was uh, diagnosed with what ailed me, which is called functional neurological disorders, to make it so people understand that it's a rare disorder that can, it's a rare series of disorders that can can present in many ways. It's basically when you're brain sends a message to your nervous system and the nervous system doesn't get the whole message. Um, you have to sort of rewire your nervous system. Then It took a long time. And, you know, through the grace of God and my family and the hockey gods and friends and colleagues and complete strangers, um, I really believe that the good vibes and the love people were sending me made it possible for me to stay as enthusiastic about progressing as I could. So um, I'm not quite back. It's about 70%. It takes me a while to do some things still, but I'm going to get there. And um, people ask, like, what was a motivating factor? Well, there wasn't really a choice. I had to get back to cover my team, you know. And, and I do say my team because I've covered this era since it began. And if there was a chance this was going to be the end of it, I wanted to make sure that I got back to see them off. Yeah, Or sure. try to... Or try to write some stuff that would maybe prevent that. Throw <laughs> <laughs> yeah. a little spin out there, yeah. Well, we're, da- uh, we're, we're da- and I know Jesse feels the same. We're damn glad you're back, and I, it really was great. Great in the in the sense that you were open and transparent about everything you were going through, because you know, similar to Jesse and similar to you, I'm a huge mental health advocate, and I'm big on breaking stigmas that you can't talk about it and you have to suppress it. So seeing you being open and honest about that, that whole journey and process, you know, really was a sight to behold. And I'm so grateful that you did it. Thank you. I think the, and the message, I'll tell you the message I took specifically from it, Rob, was that like everybody has a fuse, right? Like we all have a wick then, and, and stress management and self-care, um, you know, you, you got to you got to be careful like i think you have to be careful and and you know know when you're you know at a point where you know your your nervous system's taking a beating um and i'm terrible at it i know i i you know the obsessive compulsive thing you know i've i've shared on twitter a lot that uh i have that same issue and uh you know you get sucked into something you get snowball it snowballs is what it does and it you know the avalanche starts and you can't stop it and um you, just, you know, sometimes you end up putting a beating on yourself. So, well, Patrick, this goes for you. And I mean, you know, Jesse does it. I don't think I'm talking out of school because I do it with Jesse. You know, I just I'm a big believer in that this shouldn't be stigmatized. But also, you know, one of the things I really learned to do better during this was accept help. Um, and sometimes help can just be texting a friend when you're having a bad day. Yeah. Um, yeah. Sometimes help can be a lot more. But um, this whole notion that you're not alone, it, it really is true. And that's where it does become, I do think, a, a personal decision of the people that are afflicted to to not let themselves get so such a dark place. Um, there's nothing special about me. I just I was stubborn enough to say I'm not going to let this beat me no matter what it is or if it is going to beat me I'm going to go down with a fight um you know that that 
a-hole I could be when people were, didn't like what I write. I guess maybe I channeled some of that and focused it on recovery. But um, um. And, and I, that stigma thing is huge to me. That's that's my because I've been very open on social media about having anxiety and depression. Yeah. And the way I always frame it, because you know I came up playing hockey in Pittsburgh and hockey, whether it's in Pittsburgh, Ontario, Russia, Europe, wherever is always, you got to be tough. You got to be tough. You got to be tough. And the thing I say to people is there's, there's a lot of different definitions to tough. You can be tough by saying, I need help. That's one of the toughest things to do is to, to do is to admit it. And I tell friends of mine and, and people that I work with all the time, especially for men with mental health, we suppress this stuff so much that mental health affects your physical health. And if you keep suppressing that stuff, you wonder why people end up in early graves. It's because they suppress yep. this stuff. And that's the fight I try to have. So, I, I like I said, it, go seeing you go through this and be open about it was an inspiration. And that's the thing. That's the reason I do end most things with be excellent. Um, it's sort of a play off the Bill and Ted quote, be excellent to each other and party on dudes. But <laughs> to get to the party on dude, which is the fun part of life, you have to be excellent. And... You can be excellent when things are going bad, but being excellent is not is knowing that you can't attain excellence. It's trying to get to what is excellent for you in that moment. Mm. Um, and I just wish you guys luck with that. But come on, let's talk some puck. Uh, is, okay, so I mean, like, I'm going to be outright. The one and done is looming. <laughs> I mean, are we? Are we like? I I'm going to sum it up. The problems that this team experiences, I could accept in game seven or eight or nine, not in 78 and 79. That's what's throwing me is that it's almost like the fundamental style of play that they have identified with for the better part of five plus years has gone by the – it's just at times disappeared and evaporated into thin air. Yeah, I mean, I think it's fair to question whether the way Mike Sullivan wants to play is uh, is able to win in this league, except that if you have the type of talent to play that system, it can win. And I don't think Sullivan fails to make adjustments. Um, I think it's very... I think one thing we have to keep in mind is it's a very top-heavy Eastern Conference, and so four good teams were gonna go out, are going to go out this year. And if they all make the drastic sweeping changes that some might because they go out early again, then is that a case of an overreaction or the right reaction? And I, I don't know the answer to that. I will say this. I don't believe you can win a playoff series if certain things are true. One is if you face a terrible matchup. Case in point, um, uh, you know, I think – Stylistically, the Carolina Pan- the Carolina Hurricanes, excuse me, are a tougher matchup for the Penguins than the Florida Panthers, um, because I think a lot of the things the Florida Panthers want to do, the Penguins can do, and if it becomes a game of trading chances, then the Penguins have a puncher's chance. But the problem with that is, I don't think you can win a playoff series with only one NHL goaltender on your roster, and right now they only have one, um, and also when three of your six defensemen are playing below what you should expect them to play as. And 
I think John Marino, Marcus Pedersen, and Brian Dumoulin have had very bad seasons, at least bad finishes to seasons based off what you should expect them. And, um, you know, nothing Evgeny Malkin, Sidney Crosby, and Chris Letang can do can offset such inadequacy on the back end, whether it be from underperformance or what I believe was management's folly, which was dating back the last year, not prioritizing, giving up or paying the price needed to get a veteran goalie in here beside behind Jari. That is not to knock Casey to Smith or to say Casey Smith can't do it. But what you didn't want and I believe what you can't have is a situation where you're going into the postseason again with an unproven goalie in the playoffs being the guy behind a veteran team and not really having another option behind that goalie. And the Penguins have put themselves allowed themselves to be in that position again. And I'm not saying like it's as bad as the five defense being left with five defensemen. Uh, in the first year of Jim Rutherford, because that was a decision when they made it, they knew there was a chance, right? And this is much more circumstantial. Like we're actually, Rob, about last week was the anniversary of Paul Martin playing, uh, I think ended up playing 15 minutes in a period or something obscene like that. It was absurd. He went through a game in that stretch in April where he played, I want to say, 15 minutes in one period. Well, I remember talking to Ian Cole, and he had just joined the Penguins, and he's like, we're dead. We have nothing left. Like, this yeah. was like two games left in the regular season. But other than that, this is the – I mean, again, I, I'm willing to give Hextall and Burke a fair shot, and I do believe to some extent they should be allowed to do what they want to do with building the team they want. But I have some question marks based off this year. Um, and the primary one is how do you let your team be put in this position again? Um, you can't tell me that between the end of or between the start of last offseason and this trade deadline, there wasn't one deal out there for a veteran. It doesn't have to be a great veteran, just somebody who has more experience than what they would have had with either Casey DeSmith or Louis Demme. Louis Demme, yeah, whose name I won't even try to pronounce because with my still occasional stutter, but with uh, Louie and Casey behind Tristan, I just, if you were going to bank on Tristan, I think you needed a veteran there just in case something like this happened. And if Tristan Jari's not able to play in that first round series, I don't see how you can feel good about the Penguins, even if, even if they get a matchup that, that might not be as bad with them from a stylistic standpoint. I, I don't feel, go ahead. Pat. I was going to say, I do think, the two things that – because I'm with you guys in the sense that, I, you know, as much as I have been beating the drum of like, oh, my God, can we let the first round happen before we start writing eulogies, that doesn't mean I'm sitting here saying that they're a perfect team that can make a run to the Stanley Cup. Let's not get that twisted. Like, I'm not sitting here telling everybody they're contenders. But Be realistic. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I do think the one thing that favors them right now, though, maybe not favors them in the series, but gives them, as Rob said, a puncher's chance is – with Florida, playoff Bob is always lurking in the shadows. Like, the Bobrovsky is not exactly known for being the best goaltender in the playoffs. And then if it ends up being Carolina, they're in the same position as the Penguins. Like, 
they got injuries up and down their goaltending depth. So that's another thing. If you just want to go punch for punch with Carolina, I think they can beat them in that. But overall, I think you're right, is that, but it also was a hard situation for the Penguins for goaltending with cap space and that Jari was a troubled asset after that playoff series. I don't think they were ever in any world going to flip them, but you know, I always joke about it with Jesse and Mike. It's always funny when something like a Tristan Jari melts down in a postseason, and everybody's like, you got to get rid of him. You got to trade him. Well, everybody just watched that series. Who's trading for him? Like what value does he have? This isn't NHL 22 where you can mash X to push the trade through no matter what. So I, I think I think the first round's murky. I think the, the you know the tables have turned to the point where I would rather Florida or Carolina than the Rangers. I think the Rangers now have become the worst matchup for them. I struggle with this. I don't think and I'm this is like no disrespect meant to the Rangers when I say this because it's going to sound disrespectful. <laughs> but I don't think that I'm watch, like I'm watching these Penguins Rangers games. A lot of what's happened is self-inflicted. Like, I really don't think the Rangers have a secret key or a recipe to disrupting what the Penguins do. I think the Penguins just played like absolute garbage against the Rangers. You know, have absolutely shot themselves in the foot. I don't. So, so I don't agree with the Florida thing. I think Florida would handle the Penguins, and I, the reason I say this: four lines versus two. I just don't think the Penguins have the depth to compete with what Florida is doing right now at even strength. Florida is four lines that can control 60% of the game offensively. No, you're right, Jesse. I yeah. will say this though. They haven't won a, they haven't played in enough high stakes games, Florida. Yeah. For me to really, I mean, I am a believer that the people anointing the Florida Panthers, and I'm not saying you guys are as the next Stanley cup champions tend to forget that you have to go through some incredible heartache and pain usually before you get, ready to win um even teams that do it quick like the penguins did in 0809 you know pat you have the banner behind you the 0809 team people forget the the 08 team watched the team win the cup on its home ice like that's about as heartbreaking as you, as you can get losing four straight one more games to end that series so well, and they uh the year before they they thought they were on top of the world their first playoff appearance and they just yeah, got the and, the tar Ottawa, Ottawa, Ottawa baptized yeah. them by fire. Yeah, and people yeah. forget, too, that generally teams that win early have a team they have to overcome and displace. That Ottawa team has always been a team to me that they were very important in the development of the Crosby-Malkin era because they they were the first great team, and they were a great team. Stanley um, Cup it, final. Yeah, that, that the Penguins were able to – have to go up against and beat. And I think a lot of the lessons they learned against Ottawa helped them go through the playoffs. And I just question if Florida has had enough experience with that yet. Um, I'll say this. I don't think the Penguins should be favored no matter who they play in, in any of the teams we've mentioned. But I will say this. I would be pretty surprised if the Penguins don't make it a long series against either of those teams because with Florida and the Bobrovsky thing, um, and the Penguins seem to have good numbers against him. Um, with Carolina, the goaltending might even itself out. Um, and also, I think Carolina, like the Penguins down the stretch here, has sort of lost a little bit of its identity. Um, and with the Ranger, um, 
I agree with Jesse. I think some of this is the Penguins have just played bad games against the Rangers more than the Rangers have made them play bad games. And I do think that the playoffs, look, we thought about this last year against the Islanders, right? Like the Penguins can't handle what the Islanders do. They, they're going to turn over pucks and that transition game. And then it didn't happen, right? So we've seen that the Penguins can change quickly under Mike Sullivan and be a more responsible team. But my question is, I guess, and I don't, I don't know, will the, the, the allure of, or maybe not the allure, the fear of having it be their last potential run together, will Crosby, Malkin, and Latang be able to summon enough magic to, if they can extend a series against a team that's probably better than theirs, find a way to win it? Because I do think if the Penguins win a series, the chances go from below 50% that Latang and Malkin stay, both of them, to above 65, just with one playoff series win. Um, I think it's that critical that they win a first-round series, partially because of the finances of it. You know, if they get three home playoff games, that's money that they, they need. What does your gut tell you? Because there's always like a part of like the job I think is discerning what's PR, what's planting a seed for later and what's real, right? Like calling, right? That's part of, I'm not so much as as good or interested in that as as you, but that's, that's your job. What what do you make of the Latang stuff um, in terms of what he's rumored to want? Um, I, I, I'll tell you, I'll be honest, Rob. I, I, you know how I feel about Chris Latang. I think this year for him has been, a renaissance. He's got a little bit of that big game symptom right now where like big game, big mistake symptom where he's playing some really, really good hockey games, but he's doing three or four things that are sending people home in a rage and making them really upset despite the fact that he just had a really good game. But I don't even know, like if they're, if, if you're looking for term and you're looking for nine, nine and a half, $10 million, I don't know, man. I, I think to me, I'm, I'm, I guess maybe I'm like more fiscally conservative when it comes to the gap, but like that, that may be a number I walk away from. I know people like tell me I'm crazy for saying that. Well, oh, you're crazy. I'd pay him 10 I mean, million. I wouldn't do it. I just wouldn't do it. I guess the question is what, you know, there's, there's, uh, my gut tells me that the Fenway group wants to run this very analytically like they do their baseball team and their soccer team, and they don't really have allegiances to stars. My gut also tells me that's a foolish way to look at it because you need to get people in the gate to justify having revenue and that you're going to spend on the hockey team. And there aren't a lot of people. They've spent like, let's, let's dispel. No, no, they have. I'm saying, but in a cap world, they're, they're handcuffed in a way, the way they want to do things. Here. No, but I know, but I mean, what I mean though is like people say, well, they don't have a loyalty to stars is the reputation, but I think like that may be a little bit of an older reputation now. And I think if you like at the last five years, five, 10 years of business to them, it almost like beguiles what they're actually about. Like that they, 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 they do pay people when it's warranted and justified. But well, I think, right. Yeah. I, I, I agree. I, I think though you could only go by what, when they took over. So my gut tells me this. Whether it's here's what I here's what I'm like here's here's I'll just tell you what I know to be true based off my reporting. People expecting Mario to ride in on some white horse and save the day so that you can keep uh, Evgeny and Chris. Mario's checked out. He cashed out. He is a ceremonial chairman of the board here. 
Um, so don't expect that. Um, talking to the people that know what the offers were, um, even people with the Penguins will tell you they offered well below market value, and both Chris Letang and Evgeny Malkin viewed those offers as insulting. And I don't understand how you can view offers that have been insulting uh, to people that have meant that much to the organization as anything other than a sign that the current management might not want those guys going forward. Um, and my gut tells me that if one of them's going to stay, it's going to be Malkin for primarily three reasons. One, I think he might be more willing, well, I shouldn't say might, I think he would be more willing to take another significant hometown discount to finish out his career with Crosby. Um, as close as Crosby and Latang are, um, Crosby and Malkin both view that the Penguins' whole dynamic works because they're both together and can shield each other from some of the things that one of them would have to do. And neither of them seems particularly invested in not having the other around. And three, I don't know how you're going to convince a number one center, which is what the Penguins have had in Evgeny Malkin for all these years, to come here for less money to play behind an aging Sidney Crosby uh, in free agency. And then you go into, well, are you overpaying for a traditional number two center? And that's something I don't think people talk about enough with the Malkin dynamic is they've had two number ones, right? And yes, is Malkin like one of the 10 best centers in the league right now? I don't know that you can say that, but people will say he's a power play specialist, but okay, that power play special because of him. And, you know, it goes from 16% without him to 25% with him, right? So over the course of a year, that's a lot of goals and you still have to make the playoffs. So if the, if the choice is between paying Evgeny Malkin for three or four years, uh, and Chris Letang for three or four years, and maybe overpaying them, you could get them on shorter term, I would do that. If they both want five or six years, I think that becomes a lot tougher to do. But the reason they're in this position is they have terrible contracts with Pedersen and Marino that were not necessary. You didn't need them to pay this much this early. And now they are facing a situation where I don't think people have talked enough about this, Tristan Jari is going to be entering the last year of his extension. And I got to tell you, he's probably going to be a $6 million a year goaltender now just based off this season. Um, and how they set up for the future here is going to be fascinating. But I, I do think people want to get this over with. And I keep going. You're assuming that the next phase is going to be good and I don't view the opinion, I don't share the opinion, guys, that Pittsburgh is this destination for people to come play. If you look at it, Pittsburgh has been a destination for people to get traded to, like it here, and stay. But when they've had to go out and spend money in free agency, other than Paul Martin, they've mostly overspent and regretted it. And if you're letting Malkin and Latang walk... Yeah, you're going to have that money, but I'll just ask you guys, have we seen enough from the way Hextall and Burke have spent in the past to make you feel comfortable with how they'd spend that money? 
I'm not saying you should or shouldn't. I'm just asking you what you think. I think it's at best a mixed bag. I, and I still think, like, the Penguins version of this Hextall run at GM is so limited in, like, signings and moves at all that it's difficult to, like, take it all together and have enough of a sample size to really yeah. make a determination. I will tell you this. You talk about this John Marino thing, Rob, and, and I am flummoxed, flummoxed by this completely because Todd Reardon is a guy who reputation around the league is – He'll get the best out of you offensively if you're a defenseman. He will help you get to the top. Carlson is a name I'll throw at you. Latang is a name I'll throw at you. The the so video are, are, Nita, the smartest hockey player I've ever been around in terms of talking the game told me Todd Reardon's the best defenseman coach he's ever seen. And here we have this player who good defensively really good at getting the puck out of his defensive zone and getting it into the offensive zone. Better than like 80% of the league at that. But then when you get there, chaos yeah. <laughs> ensues to where the point where like he is in the second percentile, two, singular two, of shots among NHL defensemen. Second. To me, you almost... How can it be possible that you are that good at all the skills that enable you to get the puck into the zone and that to have that level of drop-off in your actual offensive production, here's like you're willingly choosing to not do that. Here's you're making a decision. You said it right there, willingly. He's not coachable. The stuff that, that John Marino does well, he did well when he came into this league, and he thinks that's good enough. Um. And the coaches, when you get them privately, will tell you their biggest frustration with him isn't that he lacks talent or work ethic, is that he doesn't take instruction well. And I think that's why you see a guy who's still so great at one aspect, but not able to translate it into another, because otherwise it doesn't make sense, right? Yeah. Um, he reminds me a lot of Chris early. Chris early in his career was so good at certain aspects of the game that he was tough to coach. But eventually he realized he didn't want to just be a good defenseman. He wanted to be a Norris-caliber defenseman. And so he started listening to Todd Reardon. It amazes me that John Marino can be on the same team with Chris Letang, who I think has emerged as, like, the number two leader on that team behind Sidney Crosby. Like, if Crosby were to go down for a year, I would have no problem with them putting the C on the pad. That's how important he is um, to that locker room. I have a tremendous amount of respect for the way Chris. He's very Crosby-like in terms of the, how much he cares and how personally he takes it, right? But to have that guy in your room and to know what Reardon's done for him and to see it every day when you see Todd and Chris talking and to not want that for yourself well, when you combine that with some of the other things which I've heard about John Marino and his family being a little too involved with things, it just makes me think he comes from a bit of a, a bit of an environment where he's not as easy to reach. I don't want to say he's not coachable, but he's not as easy to reach. And until he becomes easier to reach for coaches, he's not going to take that next step. And the other thing is he might be backsliding right yeah. because everything he does well before he gets into the offensive zone 
they didn't give him that contract because when he gets into the offensive zone, he becomes like a guy like me. Like if you're in a two percent, you're shooting the puck barely, barely more than us. That's <laughs> <laughs> funny. Yeah. Uh, what do you got, Pat? I mean, the thing I was gonna say is uh, the the biggest thing with Marino is I, I was Rob beat me to it was that he just. He knows what he's good at, and he's he's plateauing in that way. Like he just he knows what he's good at, and that's all he's doing. And the, I loved the Latang comparison because you look back at Latang's early days: great skater, solid puck mover, fine enough in the offensive zone, not that great in the D zone, and became better in the defensive zone. He learned that that ability. He learned that skill. He put his you know shoulder to the wheel and pushed. With Marino. The other thing I see is he was good at that stuff when he came into the league. You can say what you want about intelligence on anything else in hockey, but the game, the game will learn everything you do and the game will catch up to you. And the game has caught up to John Marino. The game's caught up to him in the sense he can still do some good things, but everybody talks about, oh, he did so great that first year. He was great that first year. Nobody wrote a book on him. Coaches and coaching staffs didn't have film on him. And you can't use his college film because it's it's essentially a different game. Yeah, so yeah, 100%. the league has caught up to him. And if he wants to take that step, he needs to do what Chris Letang did and look at Todd Reardon and go, teach me, senpai. Let's go to the video room. Yeah, and I, to, defend, <laughs> to, defend, to defend John real quick, guys, it would be hard for me as a young player, as a college un- you know, as a, as a guy who started his career the way he did, right, um, making the decision not to be with Edmonton and to come to Pittsburgh, when they reward you right away with big money after one season, that'd be really hard for me to, to not fall into this trap. But yeah. as a professional, you have to you have to avoid it. Not even just that. It's, you know, uh, he's not he's not dumb. Like, he knows how well he played. And that's just, that's human nature. You do something well, and you're going to keep thinking you can continue to do something well. It's 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 acknowledging and knowing that there needs to be growth. Guarantee we're making you, Rob. If the Penguins get out of the first round, we're having you back on the show. Okay. Well, you should have me back on the show either way. But... I should. We'll have you back on to talk about West Ham United's thrilling... Europa League semifinal win over Frankfurt. That's and I'm going to end this with giving you guys a quiz. So yes. I was wearing my my favorite ball cap. It's the class of '67 cap. Uh, I don't know what color it is, but on the back of it, it has what the class of '67 is. So my question for you is: I know you guys know what the class of '67 is. How many of those teams still have their original logo? Philadelphia. Well, the Flyers logo, I was I, that's the trick one for me though, right? Because like at its core it is the same, but they've also done variations of it over the year. Like they had that platinum one, right, that they did. So I don't know if that disqualifies it. Are you saying like so their base I'm going to say I agree with Pat because the base logo is the same. I don't uh-huh. think the St. Louis um, According to the NHL's uh public relation books that they put out each year. The only team whose primarily logo has not changed from the original one submitted 
is the St. Louis Blues. I was going to say, I thought for sure that they've adjusted theirs. I thought that they had modernized it, but I guess now that you put it that way. Huh. What's weird is how similar the Blues and Flyers look. It's like the Blues looks almost like the Flyers Etch-a-Sketch one turned upside down when you look at them, if you yeah. ever think about it. Well, embar- embarrassing moment for me. It took me until I was like 14 to realize it was a musical note with wings. <laughs> yeah. I just always looked at it and went, I don't know what it is, but it's St. Louis's logo. <laughs> yeah. Now, let's ask one last one for you guys. Everybody will say... Obviously, the Penguins logo had a scarf back then, but what is the other difference? Was it not wearing gloves? No, he's wearing gloves, but if you'll notice, that Penguin, um, well, if you look at that Penguin, he looks a little bit more like uh, one of those big guys you would pick on the old Nintendo ice hockey game. I was going to say it has more of a gut, doesn't it? (laughs) Yes, that that Penguin probably resembles... um, a beer league penguin more than this. <laughs> me. You could just say me. I used to go two bigs, two mediums, and a small, by the way. That was the winning combo. That was my preferred. Yeah, that was my preferred combo. Put the bigs well, on defense. So Thank you, guys. This has been fun. Thank I really you, Rob. Yeah. It. Long overdue. And uh, we'll get you on a couple more times at least so you have the same number of appearances as Gentilly, and he can't hold that over <laughs> you. not, I'll be dying a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks again, Rob. Take care, guys. Yeah, Rob.